Hey folks, it's your boy Dan White Hodge here to tell you about a great event coming up here in July. I've partnered up with the Wild Goose Festival and with the great Dr. Robin Espinosa to bring you a great event called Justice Camp. This year's Justice Camp seeks to privilege voices that are historically marginalized by bringing together the African-American and Latinx voices of faith organizers and leaders. Bringing these voices together not only helps enliven faith with action, but also bridges together these two communities in critical ways by helping to tell the story of struggle and justice through several lenses. Dr. Espinosa and I will be doing some great teaching along with some amazing other voices on Thursday, July 12th from 9 to 5. That's Thursday, July 12th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And guess what, y'all? It's only $59. Oh, man, $59. Yo, y'all got to get on this. Go on today to the wildgoosefestival.org and look up Justice Camp 18, okay? That's wildgoosefestival.org, Justice Camp 18. I'll also place these links in this week's episode's show notes. So get ready. It's fitting to be on, y'all. Be there. Things are going to get worse before they get better. Got down on his knees and gave his life to Christ. Because Americans are dreamers too. You're not in any moral position to tell anybody how corrupt they are. You should be quiet. Why? Why are our black sons and daughters being treated so badly? This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. I'm your host, your boy, Daniel White Hodge. Hey, y'all. How's it going out there? What's happening, fam? Podcast fam. You doing all right? You living right? Yeah. Things are going good? Sort of. It's summer. Like I said last week, it's summer. Yeah, well, things are good, you know, things are good. I'm enjoying the summer. Um, I, you know, it's interesting because the summertime, it's, it's it, at least as an educator. And I realize, I know my wife tells me this all the time. It's like, look, babe, everybody in the world does not get the educator summer. Uh, I, I personally think everybody should. I personally think that... <laughs> You know, that we should all have a break from whatever it is that we're we're doing. Um, I think, you know, in the U.S., we work way too damn hard and uh, it's, you know, it, it just doesn't produce good, healthy people are folks who actually have some rhythm and balance in their life. And I just think, you know, we're driven by our by our work. And that's across the board, ethnically. Right. I mean, that's a whole nother show I want to get into. Um, but definitely, I think that. Um, you know, we work way too many hours and it's, you know, it's, it's troubling, you know, I mean, cause I know, you know, having been in ministry, quote unquote, in the evangelical circles, um, you know, it, it was, it was, it was a badge of honor to be just tired all the time, you know, to be out there doing things. And I just, I don't, I don't, and I know that it doesn't just stop in ministry, right? It, it goes on, you know, well into, you know, business and, you know, we applaud people who kill themselves, um, people who are out there, you know, basically essentially just, you know, like I said, just, just, just killing themselves and putting in those extra hours. Uh, it, it's, it's always crazy. So 
I say all that to say that the summertime is really a time for me where I can reflect, I can get my my mind back together. The academic, especially this last academic year, if you were listening, you know, to hear the season two, man, if you've been keeping up, you know, you know, there's been some some craziness, some drama that's been going on. So, um, you know, I need that time. And again, I, I wish I wish all of us could get it. I know that we don't. I know it's a privilege. Um, I also get that as an educator, you know, these, you know, a lot of people, you know, as educators, I know a lot of my colleagues are out, you know, writing and researching, uh, as am I, uh, I like writing as a discipline, just as a, as an ongoing discipline, just to, just to write, uh, and whether it's like keyboard typing, writing, like for a book, uh, an article, a manuscript, or whether it's like in my little notepad, taking notes and things that come to my mind and just, you know, coming up as I'm developing certain things and ideas or, you know, coming up with, uh, aspects aspects and of, uh, you know, for the podcast or, you know, theories and whatnot. All those things are important as a writer. It's important to, you know, to keep writing, especially for those of you who are aspiring writers, keep writing. I, mean, I try to write something every day. Um, and it's important to do that. It's important. Those ideas come together. So the summertime is the time for me to get, um, to relax. And this particular, uh, week, this past last week, um, I was on vacation, family vacation, and that's always a great time. Um, I mean, it's definitely for those of you who are married and have kids, um, you already know, uh, <laughs> your family vacation is not the, the Disney, uh, um, um, type of environment where, you know, it's, it's, oh, it's joyous and occasion, man, I tell you what, kids can wear you out on vacation. <laughs> and honestly, I really see vacations as more for my daughter. Um, yes, it's a nice time to be together, but it's really, you know, family time. I mean, that, you know, I think about, you know, before, you know, Mahalia showed up, it's like, you know, when my wife and I would go on vacations, it would be, uh, it would be us, right? And, you know, we could, you know, do our thing and whatnot. But now it's much more like, okay, when are we going to go do this? And when are we going to go do that? And those of you who have multiple kids, oh, man, God bless you. Really, seriously, man. I am one and done, man. I, I um, much the chagrin of, of, of my mom, and I know there's some other people who are like, oh, why don't you have more kids? Uh, you going to raise them? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You going to raise them? It's not even necessarily about the money as much as it is just the, um, just the time that goes in to raise kids, you know, and school and, and, and getting you know, all the stuff that the you know, inner politics that goes on with that. Um, it, it can be, you know, it can be, you can be crazy. And, uh, you know, Ray, whether you're raising a boy or a girl, it doesn't, doesn't matter. I mean, there's drama on both sides of the fence. So I am definitely not one to want to want to have more kids. So God bless you for those of you who have two, three, four, five, six, that you're trying to get up out the door in the morning. I mean, that's, that's, uh, some people were just cut and cut out for parenting. Um, Emily and I weren't, <laughs> we just weren't. We, uh, we love our daughter. I love my daughter to death. I love hanging out with her. I love going fishing with her. Uh, this last week was great. Just hanging out her and I getting time, a chance to just, you know, just hang out as, is 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 father and daughter and, and talking about, life i get you know she always wants to know about my childhood right like what i did and so you know i try to pepper our conversations with that and you know we we spend a lot of time together in the summer because she's off i'm off so i'm trying to cherish those times those moments because i know they're not going to be around and i and i remind her about that i just say you know what we're not always going to have this time we're not always going to have it in fact you know you're going to get older um i'm going to get a holder uh you know you're going to have friends you're going to have people that you're going to want to hang out with so i'm trying to cherish this time because i realize i probably only have 
you know, she's going into sixth grade. I mean, you know, times change in middle school when she gets to high school. And really, I only have, you know, a few more years before she's off at college and off in her own life. Right. So and then that's that. And, uh, you know, I try to cherish the vacations. But going back to what I was saying as a parent, you know, it is, you know, it's always, you know, it's always a a detailed oriented time because I, if you know me, I'm an enneagram four. Um, I'm much more like, yeah, let's figure it out as we go rather than trying to, you know, uh, you plan moment by moment. My wife's much more of a planner than I am. Um, I'm much more of a, like I said, you know, just kind of a, a type B let's, you know, event oriented type person and stuff. And so, you know, it's tr- striking a balance with that. Cause you know, my wife wants to, she, you know, it, it needs to be equitable for everyone. It, at least that's the way I look at the family vacation. I know that's not everybody's uh, philosophy and you know, if you have your own philosophy, by all means chime in. But for us, I like to say, or like to look at it and say, how, what, what does, what can everybody get out of this? You know, my wife likes spending time alone. She's an introvert. So, um, you know, for her, it's about, man, how can I get about, you know, four or five hours, you know, myself. So we carved that in for my daughter. It's about events. It's about going to things. So on vacation, she was able to do horses, which is what she loves every single day, every single day. And that's, you know, and thank God, you know, we, we, we had the, the resources. We save up. We save up for our family vacation. Last year, we had the vacation from hell, <laughs> you know, going all the way out to South Dakota and trying to, you know, look at the, uh, uh, what do they call them? The, 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 all the, with the presidents and everything. I know some of y'all say that. Yeah, Mount Rushmore. There you go. Um, and that was cool. You know what I'm saying? But I mean, vacations are expensive. They are a privileged environment, so I realize my own privilege in that. Um, I'm able to afford to do that just because of, you know, extra speaking engagements, you know, my side business hustle. Um, uh, Emily this year did some great stuff, and, uh, you know, we were able to, she was able to get an honorarium for the work she was doing as spiritual director. So we were able to save those checks up and, you know, put them towards our vacation time. I mean, and so. All those things, I think, are important. And so when we go on vacation, we try to just really take that time and try to look at, okay, where are some areas that we need to improve? Where are some areas that, you know, we can shore up? How can we how can we make it better and feasible for 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 us as a family? Right. Does that make sense? (laughs) I hope it does, Um, because, again, I'm just, you know, sharing with you just some of my thoughts and insight into that, especially again here in the summer. And I know, again, you know, it's a a portable on demand, uh, you know, uh, on on demand, you know, a cast. I get that, you know, you probably may be listening to this at any any given time. But, you know, at the time of this recording, you know, it's summer. And I like I said, I look forward to this time. And for me, as often as I can, I try to take at least the month of July off, like completely off. Um, podcasting is really a labor of love. And, and for me, the, the podcast has really been a source of life for me. Uh, I love every aspect about it. I love the, the website. I love the, the editing. I love the audio. I love all the plugins. I love, um, you know, working and uh, in, in trying to get the, the sound just right. Um, I, you know, I like my stuff to sound good. Um, I, you know, so my, yeah, it's so all those things, my creativity, my Enneagram four comes out in, you know, in my, in, in that. And, you know, I love working in my studio and, you know, getting, working on music and, uh, I like building stuff. And so in the summer I get a chance to do that. I get a chance to just unplug and really use my mind 
in a different environment rather than, you know, because the academy will take it out of you, right? Rather than using my mind as a thinker, as a processor and thinking for somebody else, dealing with, you know, white liberalism and white conservatism and, you know, just evangelical crap. Uh, it's, it's time for me to get away from that and then to think about, okay, what are my angles? How do I fur up this wall? How do I go out and get my grass as green as I can? Uh, I got to go build a hutch or I got to go uh, fix, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago I was fixing the sink and the sink was completely out and I had to use my sawzall. So that is just, it's, that's just fun. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. It's just me. It's just me who I am. And um, I like fixing stuff. I like being, you know, dirty. I like sweating, get my hands in soil. Those are all good things for me as I think about reflecting and 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 keeping sane in this insane time um i'm trying to stay off social media um you know that's uh definitely a challenge uh these days because uh it's so easy to get addicted i love that my wife has a much better way of doing that than i do i know i i struggle she's able to just like turn stuff off and disconnect her email um it's, I'm still working on that, y'all. I'm still working on that. I'm I'm really glad I didn't grow up with social media. I'm, I'm just glad I didn't. I can still remember a time without it. And I'm trying to go back to that time because so much of our current time, right, it's about convenience. And so, um, you know, I just, I, I, it, you know, I, I like the convenience. I like being able to, but think about this. Even as, as short as 25 years ago, um, when the work day ended, on Friday at five o'clock, if it ended at five o'clock, whenever the workday ended on Friday, um, once you went home, that was, you know, I mean, that was kind of, yeah, I get, you know, executives and people making high class, but for working class people, you know, um, the workday could end. Now, there are other, you know, there are other uh, um, possibilities and context for that, right? Like you're poor and man, maybe the workday ends and you got to go to your third job or you got to go to your second job or your fourth job. I get that. My point in saying all of this is that there was a time to disconnect. And if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, they actually had to either call you at home or wait, right? If they were gonna send you something, uh, they could send you an old school letter. Email was 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 starting to pick up steam in the early 90s, but it wasn't nowhere near where it is now. I mean, this is how business gets done now. Um, 25 years ago, that just wasn't the case. That just wasn't the case. My mom worked as a secretary for many years and she took memos. She took notes. She she knew shorthand. Right. Um, and that's a skill really long lost outside of court settings or people who are uh, even in journalism. Right. You know, people, you know, journalists, you know, who would stare and, you know, take shorthand notes. It's it it's interesting to, um, you know, just just to see where we've come in 25 years in relation to work because work feels like it's constantly with us at least for me it feels like it's constantly there um because you know as soon as that little ring from the phone comes right like the you know that the email showed up it's kind of like there's something inside of me that it it makes me want to go and check it like is that for me is that important is that now is that, is that a person replying back to me because i'm you know because i'm i'm in a, you know, i'm in an argument with them and everything so there's something about the discipline of just turning notifications off. And then for me, and because I, I, I've, you know, suffered from, you know, anxiety disorder and, and some you know, aspects of depression, um, then I get anxious when I turn the, to, to the uh, you know, the notifications off. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
So I have to watch that. I have to work on that. That's stuff that I've had to work through in therapy. The stuff that I'm still working on. And those are things that I know. And I know I'm not the only one. That's the thing. I know I'm not the only one. Um, I'm trying to do a better job of putting my phone away. Like I said, at our house, we have the rule where, you know, there's no no phones, no technology at the dinner table. Like, let's at least have dinner together and let's 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 be let's be be as one as a family together um like i said i'm trying to do a better job of that and and it's challenge it's challenge i mean i just straight up you know because it's like i want to see what's in the news you know what what happened today and what's going on and i feel like you know the news cycle you know nine to eleven days we have you know our news cycle um you know we've already forgotten about you know school shootings and mass shootings and everything we're on to the next thing we're on to the you know we're now on to the you know the supreme court stuff but the pretty soon that's going to be out of the news cycle so it's just and even as a podcaster it's like i didn't you know i was trying to get my for example i was trying to get my you know childish gambino uh special issue out on time because if you don't hit that news cycle if you don't hit that that when things are trending right then you just kind of lose out i mean imagine somebody trending right now or trying to trend about a topic that came out last july you know, nobody, I mean, it'd be like, huh, right, really? Wow, you're just getting to this? Um, I remember that was on, I forget, oh, it was on Twitter, and somebody had responded to a tweet, a long tweet. I mean, this was one thing, um, I forget, I think it was actually Broderick Greer, who had tweeted something, and then I replied, and then a friend replied, and it just kept going and going and going. Finally, I was just like, you know what, I'm, I'm done. I already said everything I got to say. And then somebody replied to it like seven months later. <laughs> I remember somebody on the tweet was like, really, it took you that long? But that's kind of where we live, right? And so it's, it's, it's difficult to disconnect. So for me, I mean, that's that that for me is where I see the importance of the fourth commandment. Right. It's like the Sabbath, not the legalism, not the legalistic. Oh, we can only do this. We can only do that. But the actual time of taking rest. There's something about resting. There's something about taking a break. Um, And again, going back to it, I just don't think enough of us do that. I don't I really don't. I think a lot of us work ourselves to the bone. Uh, I think there's something about identity wrapped up in in working and wrapped up in being uh, important. And it's something about, I know, at least for me, I mean, it was always a badge of honor to tell folks that I was tired and this because I was out doing this on all that good stuff. Right. Um, <laughs> I, and 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 that's the thing. I mean, all these things are, are are interesting because it does come back to identity. What is it? What does it mean for you? What is the what is the significance? In other words, what are you getting out of this? What do you get out of your work? What do you get out of your your environment when somebody says oh my gosh great job what does that do for you uh and those are the questions i've had to answer myself you know those are the things that i've had to 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 go and 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 ask myself deep down inside what is it that i get out of when i get pats on the back when somebody says oh you're the best that's great yes you're great you're wonderful yes that's right (laughs) right i mean because you know seriously i mean what you know what is it that 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 drives us because we're really driven we really are and again this is across the board isn't just in ministry isn't just in church um and we hear some stuff you know i love dr robin's posts uh on instagram uh, because they'll go into the fact that they are taking time off you know i was reading brandy miller's uh post the other day and she was like i haven't been online a lot because you know i'm trying to you know i'm working on other stuff and i just need to get things right and so for me it is the same exact thing i'm trying to like pull away from certain things you know and when and and when i 
when I don't, that's internal. That's my own stuff. That has really nothing to do with anybody else. That's my own thing going on. Cause it's like, I want to stay connected. I want to know, I want to be in the know. I don't want to be behind. I don't want to lose out. <laughs> so summer is a great time to reflect. It just is. It's a great time to pa- hit pause um, and to reflect. Again, I wish everybody could get that. Um, and it's a good time to read. It's a good time to just get caught up on on things that I don't normally get a chance to get caught up on um, in the regular school year. Although this next year, one of the things I want to re-implement, I used to do this uh, off and on, but I used to implement at least a day a month where it was just like reading and research day. And just from morning to the end of the day, that that's all I was doing. And so I want to get back to that. I, I need to get back to that. Those are it's it's important for me and, you know, hopefully for you too to do things that give me life during the week. Um, What are those things? What are those things for you? You know, chime in, hit a brother back. Last week I put in the in the notes, you know, to uh, hit a brother during, you know, to send me a note and stuff. Um, Those are there. Whitehodgepodcast.com, whitehodge.com. In fact, if you forget any of that, just type in Daniel Whitehodge. My website should pop up on a Google search (laughs) and one of the first ones. And, um, you know, send a brother a note and, you know, and reach out. And if you if you go to, you know, Profane Faith or if you're on, you know, like I said, you're on Whitehodge Podcast, you can just, again, go to contact or it's just right there on the front page. Send a brother a note. I'd love to hear, you know, what is going on, like what's happening and, you know, how does that, how does, how does rest, how do you do rest? How do you deal with that? (laughs) Um, Yeah. So as I've taken up a few minutes of your time talking about that, um, it's interesting because this last week was also um, 4th of July. I'm, I've been conflicted about 4th of July for a long time. Now, as a kid, you know, I participated in the blowing up of stuff because I thought that was just what you did. Um, in fact, as a kid, I mean, there were no really restrictions on, on um, fireworks, you know, not like there are now. I mean, so you could literally get, you know, quarter stick dynamites and, and blow stuff up. I mean, we blow all kind of stuff up. So, um, yeah, I'm always conflicted. I really am. I really am because... I mean, there's so much that goes into that. As somebody who studied history is in, and for those of you who have studied history and those of you who know, know, know exactly what I'm talking about, it, a country that's founded on hate, on divisiveness, on racism, it's interesting that those are our founding pillars. We don't want to look at those. We want to look at kind of the narrative and the imagination that says, America is great. God has shed his grace on thee, right? We like, we love that. Uh, I, this last week on vacation, I, you know, I had a chance to go to a rodeo. I actually like rodeos. I, Hey, animal lovers. I'm sorry. I actually like them. I grew up with them. And so yes, they have their issues. But the thing that stood out to me the most, uh, was just the amount of white nationalism that exists at those places. Now I was one of maybe four African-Americans or black folk there. Um, it, yeah, it was, it was a trip y'all. It was a trip walk in in an interracial family with an interracial kid and I I went because my daughter wanted to go she had never been to one so this was like her first rodeo I used to go every year with my mom so it wasn't like no big thing but I I yeah it was it it was a trip let's just let's just put it that way to be around that many white folks um that are you know nationalistic you know so the you know people wearing shirts like you know if this flag offends you i'll help you pack or you know i kneel for the flag and i mean just all that stuff you know don't tread on me um all of those things impact how 
I see this country. And, and like Baldwin, I love this country. And it's because I love this country that I feel like I need to critique. I need to give my input so that it can actually get better. And so if you've never had a chance to read Frederick Douglass, What to the Slave is the 4th of July, I'm going to put the link to the full speech uh, in the show notes. But I'm just going to read some excerpts here, you know, as it pertains to this, because it, it really does. I mean, this is this is something that I think about every year. Um, you know, I think about what is it? Yeah. What does it really mean? What does it really mean? To, you know, to have this quote unquote freedom, this independence, are we really free? You know, what is that imagination and how is that interwoven, interwoven into the theological imagination of white supremacy, um, into the theological imagination of nationalism, where we have to, you know, close our borders so tightly, right, that we're that we're somehow better because of that you know and we're not we're not new the, the heinous stuff that's going on right now with with people you know parents being separated from their kids that is not a good thing on any level <laughs> uh and for people to think that and then to be christian and to think that your theology is screwed up and skewed and so for me Frederick Douglass says this for the purpose of this celebration is the 4th of July. It is the birthday of your national, he says, your national independence and of your political freedom. This to you is what the Passover was to the emancipated people of God. It carries your minds back to the day and to the act of your great deliverance and to the signs and to the wonders associated with the act of and that day. This celebration also marks the beginning of another year of your national life and reminds you that the Republic of America is now 76 years old. Okay, writing it at that time. I am glad, fellow citizens, that your nation is so young, 76 years. Though a good old age for a man, it is but a mere speck in the life of a nation. Three score years and 10 is the allotted time for individual men, but nations number their years by thousands. According to this fact, you are, even now, only in the beginning of your national career, still lingering in the period of childhood. I repeat, I am so glad this is so. There is hope in the thought, and hope is much needed under the dark clouds which lower above the horizon. Now, check this out. The eye of the reformer is met with angry flashes, portending disastrous times, but his heart may well beat lighter at the thought that America is young and that she is still in the impressionable stage of her existence. Now, what he's getting at here, notice the language that he's using. He was getting at it saying like, there's still hope for us to turn this thing around. At 76 years, you're still a young nation. But have we? Have we? You know, I don't know. So I struggle. I struggle, especially with who's in the presidency right now, you know, with, especially with, you know, the amount of white nationalism that's growing, the white of, amount of white racism that's growing, you know, the amount of, of white folks who claim to be evangelical and Christian, you know, who continue to support Trump. And, you know, it doesn't seem like that number's going anywhere. And not only just that, but just the excuse to be racist, to be sexist, to be homophobic, to be all of those things is just it's everywhere it's in every essence of where we're at and i feel like well especially when people say oh this is not the america i know it's like well what america did you know or is 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 like 
man, you know, when, when are we going to be? Because I feel like a lot of people just want to get back to the way it was. Like they wanted that good feeling that a black man was in the White House and that, well, I felt good and we're, we're good. We're all things are all good. I don't know, y'all. And this is where this is for me. I'm just like, you know, is Trump just really the external articulation of where we've always been? And now it's just ugly and it's there and it's sitting there, but it's always been there. It was in both Bushes. It was in Clinton. It, dare I say, it was in, in part of the Obama's administration as well. It was in Nixon, right? It was in Carter, um, Kennedy, dang sure in Lyndon B. Johnson. I mean, so, I mean, when you think about it, it's just like these things have been there for a long time. What has changed? What has changed? Um... Douglas Eason says, oppression makes a wise man mad. Your fathers were wise men. And if they did not go mad, they became restive under this treatment. They felt themselves the victims of grievous wrongs, wholly incurable in their colonial capacity. With brave men, there is always a remedy for oppression. Just here, the idea of a total separation of the colonies from the crown was born. It was a startling idea, much more so than we, at this distance of time, regarded. The timid and the prudent, as has been intimidated, of that day were, of course, shocked and alarmed by it. And then he goes on to talk about, you know, second day of July, 1776, pride and patriotism, no, not less than gratitude, prompt you to celebrate and to hold it in perpetual remembrance. I have said that this declaration of independence is the ring bolt to the chain of your nation's destiny. So indeed I regard it. The principles contained in this, that instrument are saving principles. Stand by those principles. Be true to them on all occasions, in all places, against all foes, and at whatever cost. And he talks about the coming of a nation. So I'm challenged. I'm challenged by that, you know. Um, and I feel like it's very patriotic to have that type of critical interrogation. Uh, into your country where are we at where are we going what's going on um those are questions i ask again it's the summertime right <laughs> gotta ask those questions oh man well think about it check out his speech um man this week y'all i man, i have a great guest uh mihi kim court i am so excited i actually got a chance to sit down with her and have an actual conversation in the lab I was like, oh, my gosh, I am blessed. She came over to the house. We hung out uh, and just got to know one another. I had followed her on, been following her on um, social media. She'd been following me. And we finally got a chance just to see each other face to face. And, oh, my gosh, we just had an amazing conversation. Uh, Mihi's got a new book coming out, Outside the Lines, How Embracing Queerness Will Transform Your Faith. It's put out by Fortress Press. He is an ordained Presbyterian minister, PCUSA, and lives with her family in Indiana. She's the author of Making Paper Cranes, came out in 2012, editor of Streams Run Uphill, 2014, and co-author of Yoked, came out in 2016. Her writing can be found in The Christian Century, Sojourners, and On Being. She's pursuing a PhD, y'all. Woo! She wasn't smart already. Now she's she's adding. She's like making it squared. She's pursuing a PhD in religious studies at Indiana University in Bloomington. Uh, this book is out now, outside the lines. Uh, I've read uh, a few of the sample chapters. In fact, I'm gonna actually go out and buy it because I've read a few of the sample chapters. 
And she's just she's just breaking it down. I mean, and what is it like to live as a Korean woman who's queer, who has kids, who's married, all of those things. Man, fascinating conversation. And also trying to embrace a Christian theology in the midst of all that. So how embracing queerness will transform your faith. Y'all, this is an amazing uh, woman. She's doing amazing things out there. And I really do hope you get a chance to go out and actually uh, read her book. Uh, and like I said, I am. Like I said, I just got the sample chapters and I was like, dang, I'm hooked. <laughs> Let me go get this as part of my summer reading. So without any further ado, I give you the great Mihi Kim Court. Here we go. Well, let's get into it. Yeah. Cool. Well, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. I love being here. This, I love being in your home. Yes, exactly. In, in the lab, yeah. in the mix with the pets. Yeah, this is where all the magic happens, <laughs> I can tell. This, 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 so, yeah, there's some magic going on here, along with the beep in the background somewhere. <laughs> it's happening. It's happening. It's happening. Um, But it's just great to have you. You uh, Just reading the, the, the parts that you sent me of your book, which we'll get into here in a second, um, is amazing. Um. And I have strived to have more women, particularly women of color, on mm. to talk about just God, race, sexuality, mm. sexual identity. So this sounds like we're going to hit it right off. Um, well, the one question I ask everybody, what's been your faith journey? What's brought you from point A to point now? Yeah, that's a great uh, that's a great question. It's one that I love to revisit as much as I can, um, even though I feel like I haven't as much in the last few years um i mean with the writing i guess there's always uh a chance to to dig into that a little bit but um you know you always discover something new when you start talking about yourself oh yeah reflecting or thinking back to your history um so i grew up in a lot of um a lot of different worlds i guess you can say um i had my feet in a lot of different worlds um grew up in a mainline presbyterian um pcusa church um, but it was also a korean immigrant church um, so you have the the typical first generation, uh, and that's the, that's like my parents' generation, and then the second generation, which is my generation. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That whole experience, and um, and then you know involvement and um, being nurtured in a lot of sort of parachurch evangelical kind of organization. So I grew up in Colorado Springs, and that's oh. like, you know the capital. That's like the hub of a well, lot I was about of. To say that's mecca for evangelical <laughs> yeah. organizations. Right, right. I mean everything you can think of. So Young Life is there, mm -hmm. Compassion International. They're um, like all on one street too. They are, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Focus on the family, you know, is there? Yes. Um, and so that that's that was really big, sort of a backdrop to my life. I felt like growing up. Um, so yeah, a lot of those sort of organizations and then um and then and then asking certain questions and then discovering a an incredible space. Mm -hmm. During my undergrad, I did religious studies and English literature. Okay. Um and was totally and I talk about this a little bit in my book, and I've talked about this actually in a lot of different spaces, but just that um, you know, the organizations I was like in Young Life and Navigators, um Campus Crusade for Christ, now okay. crew. Yeah, um, that's right. That's yeah. right. Crew. They <laughs> crew, yeah. changed the crusade up. <laughs> Still makes me think of crusade, but ah, um, yeah, I guess yeah. it's not as obvious. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um, in a varsity, you know, like all those organizations, um, pretty involved. And a lot of staff folks would be like, no, don't do religious studies. Mm. Because that's going to break your faith or that's going to that. make you lose your faith. Right, and, right, right, um, right, right. But I was like, you know, I want to do it. Um, I think I was just 
super taken with all um, the different ways people make meaning, mm-hmm. um, especially through religion. And um, and I think there was something about growing up in an immigrant home, in a Korean home, where hmm. you had those other religious elements there. Okay. Uh, even though we were Presbyterian. Yeah. And Christian. And, and I, I, I think a lot of... Um, Asian immigrants um, and Asian converts to Christianity. Um, mm-hmm. There's a sort of complete disavowal um, of any sort of uh, other cultural elements. So yeah. I, I think in Korea, like I think of Buddhism and shamanism, mm-hmm. all of that, and sort of this sort of ancestral worship, that okay. kind of um, stuff was totally just put aside and abandoned. Yes. Um, but you still had a little bit of the stuff there in mm-hmm. terms of um, some Confucianist perspectives. Like you really have to think about um, we're, we're very aware of relationships and um, the sort of duty and obligation, that sort of filial duty mm-hmm. to uh, parents and um, uh, to family and to church and country, you know, like all that kind of, <laughs> <laughs> right. all that kind of right. stuff was present. Um, so, so yeah, so had that, and I think that that was what made me curious and open to and wanting to um, to explore some of those questions. Um, and then I had a really good friend um, in my undergrad who was actually a master's student at the time, All right. and he was very closeted at the moment, a very sort of conservative, Presbyterian, hmm. hardcore Calvinist. Okay. Uh, he was the one that taught me how to read the Bible. Um, but he took a very sort of critical literary kind of approach to it. Like, what's the thesis of Romans? And <laughs> what are some of the images? Right? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> As opposed to um, just a very different sort of approach to the Bible um, in some of these more evangelical circles. You know, yes. Where you just kind of, yes. It felt very proof texty. and Right. Um, right. You know, like <laughs> memorize these scripture passages and all that was helpful. Um but it didn't dig as deep, deeply as, you know, as some of these other um, other folks and conversations. Um, so he was actually super formative for me in terms of how to read the Bible and what to think about theologically. And then I started to think a lot about um, he would bring up a lot of questions about race and race, like oh, racial identity. Interesting. Yeah. So he Korean American as well. Um, and, and things that I had not really been aware of or thought about too hard. But as soon as I did, then I started to realize and and pay attention to, um, you know, this micro Mm -hmm. kind of moments um, and not always necessarily aggressions, but just sort of those kind of racialized uh, kind of interactions with people. And um, especially in all the evangelical groups I I was a part of, I was I was the only person of color for the most part. Right, right. Um, so you'd hear things like, you know, the typical, I don't see you as a person of another. Classic. Yeah. Classic. <laughs> he was white. And just like, oh, thank you. That's so affirming. <laughs> yes. Um, and then yes. you just kind of think like, oh man, you really don't see me at all. Do yeah. you then? Um, and I didn't realize, I, I didn't really articulate that or come to that point until, um, some of these, uh, some, that relationship with this, um, with this person who who was a grad student in English and, and also ended up being one of my teachers for one of my classes. Okay. Um, so, yeah, and then seminary and then getting married and then here I am today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a mother right. of three and 
um, just trying to take it a day at a time. And I'm about to turn 40. And so I feel like I'm, I'm just kind of taking stock. Out. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to turn 40 in July. And I just wow. think like, holy shit, I need to take stock. Like, wow. what what am I doing with my life? Man, I tell you, I never would have guessed that. I would have assumed mm. early 30s, honest, quite honestly. Yeah, yeah. I, I still get that. So I, But now I take that as a compliment. <laughs> I'll take yeah. that as a, I think, um, there was one time about, um, I think I was probably solidly in my 30s. It was the last place that we lived at. Okay. We had just moved there. It was Easton, Pennsylvania, right on the border of Pennsylvania, okay. New Jersey. We, uh, my husband, Andy, he's white. Um, we lived in this town where Lafayette College is. Yeah. Really small little I've heard about college. that. Uh-huh. We went to a basketball game and... Um, the guy asked, you know, Andy, like, you know, how many tickets do you want? And then asked if he wanted a youth ticket for me. Like, asked Andy <laughs> if he needed a youth, tic- a a youth, youth ticket. ticket. <laughs> so I'm wow. like in my 30s, and I'm thinking a youth is probably 12 and under. <laughs> <laughs> just, um, oh, my God, that was so flabbergasting. But, you know, it's just like that kind of stuff all the time. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Well, yeah, I no, yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it as a compliment. When would you say was your moment in your kind of just faith and religious journey, like when you were like, oh, like, whoa, okay, things aren't, and maybe it was this, what you were talking about with, with, uh, with the relationship with you had with this, this young brother who was talking about, you know, thesis of Romans and everything. But like, I don't know, as the young people say, <laughs> when was your woke moment? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Oh, man, yeah, my did you, woke moment. Did you go through a concern? Because, you know, I've, I've had folks on here, and, and I know myself, I went through a fundamentalist, you know, stage in life and all that good stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Did that ever occur for you, or you are already kind of leaning towards, like, I don't know, man. Yeah, I mean, there's probably multiple woke moments. Um, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, definitely around race and identity in college. Um, okay. Just realizing, oh, I'm not accepted and... I'm not part of the mainstream or dominant culture, or if I am, I'm being used as a wedge. You know, I'm, 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 I'm being used as a way to say, um, basically this is how black and brown people, uh, this is what, what black and brown people should aspire to be. So the whole model minority kind of, um, trope or, you know, when it's convenient, um, you know, Oh, you're not being white enough. Um, yeah. So I, yeah. So there was a lot of, um, there were, I hadn't really read a ton of Asian American literature then until seminary. So that okay. was kind of the, the next sort of woke moment and step for me in terms of um, identity and race and, um, and sexuality. Um, but definitely more so about race and, and ethnicity. Okay. Um, and just, just the notion of, um, that Asian Americans experience race in a uh, or racialized identity in a particular kind of way, um, hmm. but in a way that definitely um, it it really props up um, the sort of racialized structures that we have that makes black and brown people be in a certain um, be at a certain level, be at the bottom of the totem pole. Um, but <laughs> you know, we're just we're used as a wedge. We're used as that wedge. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and it's, um, I remember coming to that uh, realization and being so angry. Hmm. So my senior year um, in seminary. Okay. Um, so I'd just gotten married, but Andy had graduated. So he was mostly living up in um, New York, um, outside of New York City. And I was down in Princeton finishing up my last year. Nice. And I did a, 
a senior year, I did a, a thesis um, mm-hmm. just exploring and reading Asian American literature, Asian American histories, mm-hmm. and um, just all this stuff about um, the way, I mean, just around immigration and, and immigrants in general. But the way, um, I mean, I think about like, just even what happened when I was, um, I guess I was in middle school at the time, um, with the LA riots and with Rodney King. I think oh. that was the first sort of crack uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. in this sort of, uh, the, the, the shell. It was just yes. a shell of this sort of reality that wasn't holding together anymore. Right, right, right. Um, so to revisit that as a seminarian and, and having read um, all these sort of theoretical things and literature and um, and histories um, realized, um, oh, man, right. Like white supremacy really fucking sucks. It really is like <laughs> doing a number on all of us. Yes. Um, yes. So I was just so angry and it was sort of a weird weird season because i had just okay. married a white man and uh-huh. so i was so uh-huh. angry at everyone <laughs> and i was really angry at him um because of what he represented um huh that's and, deep um so yeah so that was i mean it was a good rich year of thinking and exploring and writing and sort of coming into my own okay but it was a tough year for sure um because then you realize like oh my god i was so complicit and just you know, um, propped up that whole um, model minority thing, right. uh-huh. the, um, you know, for for the sake of my own advantage. Yes. Propping up those structures that um, that continued to uh, displace and marginalize mm. and, and oppress mm. and, and, and be violent towards yes. um, uh, these lives all around me. Um, and then I would say the next woke moment was the year the twins were born. In 2011. Oh, wow. Twins. Yeah, All right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and then we had a third. <laughs> oh, um, my gosh. Yeah. But uh, so the twins were born in 2011. We moved okay. to Bloomington, Indiana, two months after they were born. Oh, So wow. we were on the East Coast, and we moved to Bloomington for Andy's job. Okay. All right. Um, and that was the year Trayvon Martin got shot and killed yeah. and yeah. murdered. Yeah. Um, and that just, I felt like that put my whole world in a tailspin. Right. Um, so, uh, I mean, you maybe, it's probably been a while, but you remember oh, those no. first years mm-hmm. of a, the first child <laughs> or the first babies. You're just like in this sort of <laughs> cloud <laughs> and totally disoriented <laughs> and just yes. trying to grasp, you know, for anything um, that would just kind of anchor you um, right. in the midst of that sort of chaos and reading all the books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> reading all the books and trying to figure this out. Right. Um, and then realizing this is a world that we've brought our children in. Um, it's just a fucked up world. <laughs> um, so all that stuff was happening. And then Sandy Hook happened. You're right, um, right. A little bit after that. Yeah. And I was curled up in a ball, like crying in bed. I had the babysitter over. I was just like, I can't deal with the children right now. You deal with them. Yes. And I went upstairs and just um, had to try to pull it together. I also admittedly um, had postpartum depression and didn't realize it at the time. Mm. It was just kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but those were, I mean, even in the midst of that sort of confusion and that yeah. chaos, um, that was another, you know, another crack in that, that shell of that right. reality and realizing, oh, there's actually something deeper happening and going on here. That, right. Um, you know, and then everybody was sort of experiencing that that woke moment as well at mm-hmm. this, 
at the same time, I mean, the people that I really cared about and absolutely. Um, we were all kind of going through the same thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of folks have, have named that. I mean, I know for me, um, it started with um, Troy Davis in, mm-hmm. and it was a 2009. Yeah. And, uh, and then, like you said, then, you know, following that's Trayvon. And yeah. then, like you said, Sandy Hook. I mean, there was so much that happened during from 2010 to like, you know, the 2016 election, right? Right. Oh, my God. It has been a, I said this the other day, it has been a dumpster fire. Yes. For a decade. Yes. a decade. I mean, even starting with Bush and the failure of our economic system, mm. and then you come to find out people yeah. were predatory loan lending, and oh, the majority Jesus. of people were, you yeah. know, these were ethnic minorities. Right, and, right. Um, you know, the debts that people had, right. and then people, you know, getting screwed over on their homes. Yeah. Uh, banks getting bailed out. I'm like, yeah. wait a minute, can I? Can I can I get a bailout on my, yeah, yeah. On my student loans? <laughs> right, exactly. Just, How the hell are bit. these banks getting bailed out? Oh Jesus, yeah, we are. So we were right on the cusp. We were no, we were right there when um, that bubble burst. Wow. Um, so we were moving to Bloomington. Mm-hmm. We were trying to do the house, um, yeah. trying to sell the house and everything, and it just wasn't happening. I mean, there was. We tried to do the short sale, and um, so we oh, ended wow. up doing a. The deed in lieu of foreclosure. Oh, so basically oh, okay. the step above foreclosure. Okay. Um, so while we were away, then um, the pipes burst. Oh, um, oh man. And it caused over a hundred grand in damages. No. We luckily still had house insurance. Oh, wow. Holy okay. shit. It covered everything. Oh, wow. We were, I mean, Andy and Thank I. Thank God for that. I think we still have a little bit of PTSD. I, I mean, uh, as oh, a result I, of that I, whole. How can you not? Oh my God. Um, oh my goodness. He, I mean, he really struggled too. He, I think he, he's a he. He tends to be a uh, an anxious person about things like that. And okay. I, and I'm just sort of naive, and I just try not to think about things. <laughs> you know, and we have the kids and everything. But so it worked out, and um. That's good. Yet, yet um, insurance. Just, yeah, yeah. It was just. <laughs> And then they sold the house for like, I mean, yeah, we just like the amount that you pay for a house and then to see that and then it was just sold for like, you know, a hundred grand less than what you paid for it. Right. Holy shit. Right. Everybody got screwed over. Right. Right. I we came this close to getting into that the housing mess Mm. in in Los Angeles. Oh, God. And because we were, uh, you know, we were looking at the time, you know, we were, you know, been married not even 10 years. I mean, we were just a newlywed and uh, we were looking at it. And, you know, I was still finishing up my doctorate. And our real estate agent at the time was just like, oh, you know, you can get into these houses and everything. But I kept, you know, and, and you know, you know, I mean, L.A., I mean, houses are. Whew, you oh know, my god! I can't even imagine. Uh, one brick is, you know, a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> it's like shoot. So, and we were looking at it. I was like, wait a minute. So, these houses. This is a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar house with was with a box, no yard, yeah. a box. Oh my god! And then she was just like, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But I said, but twenty percent down. I'm gonna have to finance the down payment. Oh yes, but it's okay. We can combine it. Mm-hmm. And I remember kept looking, and I remember you know kind of just doing the um the 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 the, the paperwork, and I was like. So wait a minute. Um, so we're gonna pay this amount, nine hundred bucks a month, which is great. We can afford that, but it says here in like three years it's gonna blow up to four grand a month, five grand a month. No, no, no. You'll be okay. You'll be okay. By that time, you know the economy is always changing. It's gonna be a very the housing's booming. You'll be okay. You can just refinance. Then I'm so thankful that when we ran our credit check, mm-hmm. there was some, something that they caught that was in the back and then yeah. that stopped us. Cause oh. we were literally going yeah. to sign the papers and the creditors was like, well, you got this, you gotta have to go clean it yeah. up. Yeah. And then that's when things just started going down. We were like, oh, 
That yeah. was that balloon stuff. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, the American dream became the American nightmare. Like, right. What the hell? Why do we need these big fucking houses that are so insanely expensive? <laughs> you know, like, and then you you these manicured yards and um. Right. I mean, just the whole thing. You just think like, why everything is about possession and ownership. Right. And, and that that is a sign of. Like, you know, legitimization um, right. or, you know, citizenship and, right. and, you know, making it. And I hate that. I hate, I hate that. I do, too. But we're here and we're doing it. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> yes. No, I know. Absolutely. I'm, I'm in a house that I yeah. had to go to Wells Fargo. Those, right. The demons right. in Wells Fargo, I right? Oh, those <laughs> devils. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. This is, yeah. well, this is a trip. I mean, because, yeah. I, I mean, like I said, I could keep going on with this. Um, mm-hmm. Your book. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the book. This is this is a this is this is a good book because I mean, and I've just I've only read you know what a chapter or two that you sent me, and I was already like, whoa. <laughs> so outside the lines, how embracing queerness will transform your faith. Oh man. Yeah. Even the title, though, I struggled because I wanted okay. something a little bit edgier. Okay. And you know, you work with publishers, and and they think more about marketing and and the things that you don't think about. You right. Know, so it's helpful right. that, you know, that they were in this conversation. It yes. wasn't just me deciding. No, I, um, I get it. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it really, really, I think, communicates the sense of, um, like, in terms of my own journey, the intersection between queerness and the theology and spirituality um, and all that. So, so, yeah, I mean, I hope that that, that is something that, will draw people in. I mean, I think that's what it's supposed to do in terms of, again, the whole marketing thing, the title and the cover. It's supposed right. to draw people in. Right. Um, yeah, no, I know. I, I always go back and forth with titles. I always mm. struggle. And, and most, well, all of the publishers to this point that I've worked with have been white. So it's like me mm. and my thought process of like, oh, like, let's have this time. They're like, no, no, no. Let's do it this way. I'm like, oh, dude, you're <laughs> killing me. Yeah. But I like this. I like the outside the line. I mean, personally, just as I'm looking at it, um, let's see here. Let's. I mean, let's just dive in. I mean, what mm-hmm. what was the premise when, as you were putting this together? I mean, I want to get into one of the at least one of the chapters that I wrote. Mm-hmm. But what's the premise? It's, it's particularly in this socio political era that we live in, mm-hmm. where anything LGBTQ is it's like it's in a binary. Yeah. You can't. I'm like, you know, I, I still have people who say. You know, how can you be Christian and queer? How can you be Christian and gay? How can you be mm-hmm. Christian? Blah, 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 right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm in environments where a lot of ethnic minorities, mm. they will go to bat over white supremacy, over yeah. race, right, right. white system institution. But the minute we get to LGBTQ issues matters, right? Mm-hmm. Human sexuality. It's it's like a freaking Fox News show. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I grew up in that too. I mean, so how sure. would, so so some initial thoughts on on the premise. Then I have some specific thoughts here as you are. Yeah, yeah. So I um, even the writing process for this, I I, I was trying to avoid some of the deeper questions and and what this might mean for me personally. And so um, you know, I I try to make it more academic to kind of just hide behind yeah. some of the. Um, wonderful and incredible and and challenging and life-changing sort of queer theoretical um uh framework out there um that's just um 
I mean, there's just so much out there right now. I mean, it's been around for a little bit, but I mean, in terms of the intersection with church and theology, um, you know, I, I try to do, I try to do some exegetical and hermeneutical kind of things, um, around the person of Jesus, um, to try to do something that would be, um, less abstract and um, more rooted in who Jesus is. Okay. Um, And so I like did a couple of chapters, sent it to my publisher. They were like, nope, that doesn't work. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Okay. So, so then I, I took a step back and and started to think about, um, you know, what's at stake for me. Yeah. And so I think it's a funny question because um, even just sort of being in the academic world this last year, Anytime anybody writes an article or we would do these sort of like faculty Mm -hmm. colloquium where somebody, one of our faculty members was working on a book and would bring us a chapter and then we'd read it and talk about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and conversations would get super intense. That's right. That's right. (laughs) But someone would always inevitably ask, what's at stake here? What are the stakes? And I'd be like, oh, my God, that is that is the question. Yeah. That's the kind of question I need to have in my brain as much as possible. So what's at stake for me? Um is honestly helping to create um, a world where uh, people can live and mm. people can be free. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Um, so for me, that meant um, being able to embrace my own identity as queer. Okay. Um, and so I, I always say that this book was is, is sort of like my coming out. Um, I was inspired by a film director, um, mm. Andrew On, out of um, L.A. He does he did mostly short films, but also identifies um, he identifies as gay. Um, and he said that um, he made these films as a way to come out to his parents um, and, and sort of told these stories about. Um, so he came out to IU and, okay. and shared um, shared a couple of these films with us and, and did a talk. Um, and I, there was something about that. I thought that. Um, that there was this art that he produced as a way to express his coming out. And that really resonated for me as opposed to um, like, how do people come out, you know, like, (laughs) and and why, why do we come out? Um, And even realizing that um, even that, that image of the closet doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. That even the language of coming out doesn't really work for everybody. Okay. Um, And I, I, I imagine it doesn't work as well for um, for people of color communities yeah. for that reason, yeah. because of what you said, because of of holding up all those um, communities that you're a part of, yes. um, whether it's the black church or the Korean church that I grew up mm-hmm. in, totally traditional and, and the same thing, just yes. very anti-LGBTQ. Um, so, so there's got to be a way to survive and to live the way that we live um, in a way that's... Um, that holds up all these tensions, you know? And so not everything is going to be like a neat little box. You like come out and, and then you start wearing your pride stuff and everybody's, right, you know, you're right, happy and you're right. excited. And, yes. um, and then you, you know, um, everything is smooth sailing. Um, I don't think it's like that for anybody who comes out, honestly. Um, and so mm. just even the notion of coming out, I feel like, um, this was a way for me to do that, um, in a way that, um, felt true to who I am and genuine. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm thinking about just regular, everyday, ordinary stuff, and, hmm. and sort of the intersection of 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 race and gender and sexual identity, of parenting and family life, of vocation yeah. and church, and what does queerness have to do with that, and why does it matter? Um, and for wow. me, it's about blurring boundaries. It's about yeah. um, our bodies 
and being embodied and embracing embodiment as a huge, as front and center to our humanity. Mm. Um, and then as the stuff of theology, um, so that we're not just doing theology in the sort of cerebral, um, what I would say would yes. be this very Western, yes. European, mm-hmm. um, white, male-centric um, right. way of doing theology. Right. Um, but doing theology in a way that's artistic and creative um, and uses all the stuff of our lives and not just um, the stuff that's in our brains that we just kind of come up with. That's beautiful. I mean, I've and that's something that I know I've been trying to engage more with mm. uh, the embodiment of theology in my own, like just the body. Because I mean, yeah. it is, you're right. I mean, Western... Much like Western medicine, it's like it's in the head. We got to logically process right. these things. Mm-hmm. I was watching uh, with my daughter. We've gotten into the Marvel universe and Infinity Ooh, War and yes. Doctor Strange and all that yeah. stuff. And but I like Doctor Strange because it's like right, he's embedded initially into this Western way of medicine. Yeah, and yeah. you know yeah. he's, he even says that I don't believe in energy. I don't believe in chakra and stuff. You know, and then the uh, the yeah. high uh, what is it the 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 Grandmaster is just like no, she's like no. You, yeah. got, you got a lot to learn yeah. here. Yeah. And I think about that theologically. It's so much, let's go read systematic theology. Let's right. go study these theoretical frameworks right. and like, which has its place. Sure. Yeah, definitely. But there isn't this embodiment. And I think about mm-hmm. growing up in a church that even though we were fundamental, there was still kind of an embodiment of, mm-hmm. you know, religion. We're going to yeah. get into these, you know, this, this, you think about Pentecostalism, when you think about the black Pentecostal experience, mm, right? Yeah, it's it's about getting up. It's about moving. Yeah, uh, and I remember just as a kid feeling like, "Whoa, <laughs> what's yeah. going on here?" But that makes sense, yeah. right? I mean, granted, yeah. there's, I yes, we can get into the you know the, the the fundamentalism within that. Yeah, yeah. But that's a good point that you make. Yeah, I mean, I it's interesting to 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 think about the church experience that I had um, in terms of just where we are today. Um, with the mainline denomination in crazy decline right now. Um, but you hear over yeah. and over statistics about immigrant churches or people of color churches. They're yeah. doing pretty good. Yeah. They're, they're okay. Right. Um, and they're, uh, and there I think of the way that, um, like my, my, my church was Presbyterian and part of that mainline denomination, but walking in, you maybe wouldn't think that, I mean, they had, um, I, I like to say that sometimes that I'm a presby costal, you know, <laughs> because <laughs> the there, <laughs> there's something there's, I think that immigrants and people of color, um, communities on the margin yeah. are just more open to the Holy spirit right. and the movement of the Holy spirit. So we had a lot of sort of charismatic revivals. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and that was normal to me that, um, you know, Korean churches are, 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 uh, famous for their prayer services. Yeah. A lot of people yeah. know that, um, for a long time, like my parents, I remember would would drag us to an early morning prayer service every day. <laughs> Before the sun came up, we would right. you know sleep in the pews, and you could hear everyone. I mean, it was just a normal. And this is this is wailing prayer. It's it's a kind of prayer mm. where everyone is lifting up their voices yeah. at the same time, kind of prayer. Um, I mean, that doesn't happen in the mainline church. Um, yeah. But to have those kind of experiences as a part of, um, as a bodily part of my own memories mm-hmm. and um, my own understanding of spirituality and theology. Yeah. I think um, it's starting to emerge again yeah. um, for myself personally. And it, it feels very contiguous with what queerness is about, you know, that it isn't always 
easy to articulate what's happening there yeah. um, and that um, there's something that isn't contained there. Okay. Um, I was super, super um, shaped by, um, I, I think he's here. I think he's in North, I think he's at Northwestern, Alex Wahalia. Okay. He wrote a book called Habeas Viscous mm. and it's this difference. Um, he's talking about the difference between flesh and body. Mm. Um, and there's something about, um, and, and J. Cameron Carter actually does a lot of stuff he with does. this yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of, I would say, black studies and black feminist thought. And so he uses a lot and that's, and that's another, I feel like that's another mode of inquiry and an intellectual framework that I'm super eager to get into because there's so much to learn from there. Um, and I feel like it's been marginalized and disavowed in a lot of spaces. And actually, yeah. so, so Alex Wahalia will talk about that too, even in his work. Um, yeah. That there's something about flesh and what we can learn from black feminist thinkers uh-huh. um, about how, uh, how the construction of humanity has always been centered around this one notion of the Western man. Yeah, and, um, absolutely. We're going to disrupt that. And that's where queerness, I think, does it does it for me. That's what's up. Well, you define, I love this. You said right here, to me, queerness is three things. You said it's mm. posture, it's playfulness, practice. Break yeah. that break break that down a little bit because I got I got some questions around that but I want yeah. I want you I want you to to break that down a little yeah. bit no yeah. I, but I love this this is this is what's up yeah I love alliteration <laughs> so you see a lot of that and for me that's just like a um I mean I guess the one area that I am creative or I try to be creative or I feel more creative is in writing um uh, it's a way to weave words together and and um and so okay so posture I mean I think of that this is a way that we orient ourselves in the world, mm-hmm. um, that we are aware of where we walk and where we stand and um, what communities we're a part of, what conversations we're having, um, that it's 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 orientation. Um, yeah. And so I play with that notion of orientation a little bit. I mean, okay. people always have talked about um, sexuality and sexual orientation. Yeah. Um, and, and that's sort of just one mode, but I think of orientation as how we are intentionally and deliberately um, positioning ourselves in the yeah. world and yeah. realizing, you know, sometimes those are places of privilege um, and sometimes those are places on the margins, um, but that we're, we're constantly aware of mm-hmm. and um, realizing how are we speaking from those, from those places. Hmm. Um, and, you know, okay, and, and so then I have to backtrack a little bit because I think that there is something, um, there's a contradiction here that I'm constantly playing with as well. It, it, it just like queerness, once you try to start defining it, I'm, I'm realizing um, in in reading other people's works um, that even that is sort of problematic. Mm-hmm. I'm using mm-hmm. another P word. <laughs> <laughs> that, that queerness isn't really meant to be a category that okay. you can't say like, that's queer, that's queer. Okay, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, maybe you could, I mean, maybe you could see something and be like, oh, that feels queer or yeah. reminds me of something queer, but mm-hmm. to say that this is a category, um, you know, we, I, we're trying to, or I'm trying to belie any sort of state sanctioned and state regulated sort of right. categorizing around identities. Right. Um, whether right. It's male or female or, um, although with the kids I do purposefully because I have to work the system. I always put Asian, <laughs> even though they're mixed race, I always put Asian on come all on. their paperwork. <laughs> yeah, come on. Shoot. Um, so yeah, so posture for, sh- for sure, um, is, is key. And, and it's realizing, um, that even in this, I'm, I'm 
I'm realizing that I'm sort of on the edge of some of the contradictions and problems around mm. even talking about queerness okay. and okay. trying to articulate it. Um, and what was the other one? Um, uh, playfulness. Playful, yes. Yeah, that it's that it's. Um, and this is where I was inspired by my by my children and realizing like we all as children sort of start out queer. Um, mm. You know, the kids are constantly playing with as much as they can because I know like from the get go. You go to Target and you see all the kids' shit, and it's yes. all like pink and blue and flowers for yes. the girls, and the yes. shorts are so fucking short. <laughs> Excuse my language, I'm really like going no, off. you got to go off this profane face. Shoot, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh man, because I just went shopping the other day uh-huh. for all the shorts, and I had to, I had to, and you know, and then I was talking about this with folks on Twitter a little bit. You know, you want to be able to encourage and not shame our girls' bodies, right? I, so So, like, true. let them wear whatever they want. Right. But then I also don't want her butt cheeks hanging out, Yo, you know, and, I, and yep. subject to the male gaze Yes. Yes. So, it's, that is a struggle. That is a struggle. So, but, okay, so from the get-go, mm-hmm. I feel like our kids show us um, the possibility of queerness, um, and then we we get all the stuff, and we're, um, we're influenced by the world and by the church and by... Um, by culture in terms of um people already telling us how we should be and what should what we should look like and what how we should dress yes yes. um but our kids are always trying to fuck with that a little bit you know (laughs) you know they're running around and and and, and you can't put our kids in boxes even right i mean some in some ways i do feel like like with desmond the boy twin okay um he can definitely be the stereotypical boy, okay. you know, All like right. rough and tumble, mm-hmm. but so can Anna. And she, God, these children I know, maybe we'll hear this someday. <laughs> <laughs> She's the most athletic out of all of them. Wow. The most physical and the yeah. most coordinated. Okay. Um, yeah, out of all of them. Um, so, you know, two boys. She's the girl. Um, yeah, so I mean, I just hmm. I think like even the kids are forcing me to think outside of the box, um, and they and they play they play hard they play with identity they play with language they hmm. play with um, sometimes they'll ask about skin color and about race and languages and that kind of thing and yeah um, and we talk through it you know um, and there's no hard and fast categories and I don't talk about marriage I don't lift that up to them as because that's what even though that's what we have and that's Andy and I are married um we don't talk about that as being the be all end all Mm. you know and even with like a particular kind of gender or whatever just like someday if because they've been to asking about kids because all of a sudden a lot of their friends are having um, their moms are having babies and that kind of thing and so then the last questions about that and you know, I'll say like someday, you know, if you want to have a baby, um yeah, you can get married. You know, if you marry your best friend (laughs) You know, George, or if you marry your best friend, Aria, um, because you yeah. know the, they all have their same gender best friends. Or if you marry, you know, like, you know, just to lay right. out those possibilities. So we play even with those possibilities. Yes. Um, that was well, so. All right. So so as you're talking about, I think that's great. I know in my daughter's classroom, it's the idea of just human sexuality is is, is coming in. There's mm. it. It's great because she's growing up in an environment where, you know, there she does have classmates that are just trying to figure out, like, am I a boy? Am I a girl? Mm-hmm. Am I non-binary? Um, and I think that's, for me, that's a great thing, yeah. right? I think that's yeah. a beautiful thing because I, I'm, I'm hopeful 
at least I'm trying to be hopeful that at least a newer generation will not be as stigmatized yeah. as I was growing up. Right. right. So, so let me ask this and feel free not to answer. Uh, but you know how, when you came out, I mean, what a, what was that process? Like what, I mean, when did you first be like, Whoa, okay. I need to identify this. And then I know there's going to be people asking, you know, not, I know, but I'm sure there's people thinking, even people who are listening to this show, queer. And I, that's why I love you define it here um husband wait a minute yeah yeah for sure yeah if you don't mind i mean no i don't i definitely don't i'm an open book um you know once i can sort of figure out what i'm thinking about (laughs) oh yeah i get that experiencing and and um working through but um yeah so when i first put the book out like you know you put those initial links out and say you know this book is coming out Mm -hmm. um i did get a couple of messages like what does this mean what does this mean for your marriage what does this mean for your family (laughs) yeah yeah. andy got a couple of messages as well and i appreciated that his friends care about him i was mildly annoyed and i'm sure some of them are going to hear this and and that's fine um (laughs) Because they were just like, are yeah. you doing okay, Andy? Like, right. <laughs> is right. this somehow news to you? I'm just like thinking like, um, I don't know. I, I think I was just like, really? Really? Like you're um, automatically going to go to, well, she cut her hair in January. She's obviously going to be a lesbian and leave you. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Is okay. it is this sort of sense that yeah. um, I got from these messages um that andy got from different folks um and so i kept thinking like i wonder how i should start thinking about and talking about and putting out there what this means for me and my family and then i was like fuck that you know i don't have to explain myself right (laughs) i don't have to justify what's happening Mm -hmm. um to people uh who are worried about one thing which is the marriage which i get and i understand that and again i appreciate that he has people in his life that care about him in that way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but uh yeah i mean i think that for me and andy um it's been some hard conversations um a little bit of counseling but it's still just a working out like we haven't come to any sort of resolution yeah Except that we remain committed to each other yeah. um, and love each other and we love our family mm-hmm. and our um, and our kids and this life that we have together. Absolutely. Um, and so so in some ways, I'm hopeful that um, what I'm doing here is just an example of one way people can live their lives. Um, and it's not going to fit neatly into people's boxes yeah. and their categories and how they understand the world. Um, but it's a way to live. And um, there's no blueprint, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely not. There's no one way of... Um, and, and we have had um, different people in our lives who have gone through that sort of, oh, they were married and now they are um, separated. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, because someone came out and, and now they have new partners. And um, I just think, but there are so many... Again, there are just so many ways to do life together and marriage and family and... Um, queerness makes space for all of that yeah um and so i'm hopeful that something like this adds to that conversation and provides the possibility of yeah. how do we do this and how yeah. do we live this out and i'm i'm grateful every day i mean it's 
marriage in itself on the regular is hard. Absolutely, <laughs> oh it is. My. Absolutely. God, it's so hard. Yes, the day to day. The day to day with the kids and the schedules and mm-hmm. the, um, work. I mean, you're in a doctoral program. Yeah, Good. yeah. Nice. And, and Andy's full time at a church, so basically he has a wow. family. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> that he takes care of. Absolutely. Um. So yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a matter of making space for people to figure out what's important to them, who they are in that, mm-hmm. and the realization that that is going to constantly be shifting and changing. And commitment means. Um, we see each other, we make space for each other, and um, we do what we need to do to care for each other, yeah, to support each other. And no, that's, that's gonna look up. different. I mean, it's gonna look absolutely. We take turns um with everything, and it's not like he does everything, and I. I mean, he does one particular thing all the time, and I do one particular thing all the time. Sometimes he mows the lawn. He'll he would love to tell you this. Um, my dad did something to the lawn mower so that the handles handle is suddenly too low so now i mow the lawn <laughs> so um, right yeah yeah he unloads the dishes in the morning you know all that stuff you yes know? like there's no yes there's no expectations it's just we go season by season and we figure it out and so i'm grateful i don't know what it's going to look like five years from now ten years from now yeah i don't think there's any guarantees um but i feel like as soon as you let go of guarantee or any sort of yes. notion of forever, um, that kind of frees you up. And it makes you feel mm. like, okay, I'm mm. taking this a day at a time. Mm. How am I going to live out faithfulness and commitment in this moment yeah. with this person Yeah, in the way that I am and in the way that he is? Um, and we do that intentionally. And we, we try to, as much as we can, talk about it. Um, wow. But again, it's not pretty. It's not Absolutely. pretty. No, and I... <sighs> I mean, shoot. I mean, I, I and, and the reality of it is that I don't think any marriage is pretty. No, you start getting a yeah. couple of years in. And I mean, and I always say this a lot. I mean, it's like I think about marriage in the modern era. It's like my, marriage, mm. the concept of marriage in the Middle Ages. Mm. Okay. Your family. People mm-hmm. can work the land. We're an agrarian society right. for the most mm-hmm. part. Yeah. Um. And then that was kind of the legacy. The names yeah. got passed on. Women. It was. A, it was a binary world, right? Mm-hmm. But in the 21st century and this modern, the digitization of everything. Mm-hmm. I, I. It. You know, this is something that I mean, and I even you know, just like even the writers of the of of the Bible. I don't. I don't even know if they got. Like, okay, because people, what, they live to what, they're 30, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, oh, a lifetime of marriages. Now we're having people, somebody said the other day, I, I told them, I was like, oh, yeah, we're going to celebrate in November, our 17-year anniversary. And so I was like, wow, that's a testament in these days. Mm. Yeah. And it's so, I'm yeah. just like, huh. So I don't know. And I think that's being redefined by this generation, yeah. the emerging generation. I know my daughter, we've tried to raise her up, like you know, like you said. The end all be all is not finding a man, mm-hmm. settling down, and then that's it. Right. You can just write your yeah, yeah. your story. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm I'm hopeful too with that emerging gener- generation seeing all the possibilities. That is not just there's not just one way to do it. There's not one yeah. way to live. Yeah. Um, and be in relationship with someone and be in community and and experience love and intimacy and and fulfillment in your life. Um, Sometimes I do think like, yeah, maybe the Victorian age would have been good. Just, you know, it would have been a lot simpler. You marry for yeah. economic reasons <laughs> yeah. and uh, class reasons. And um, 
and you just didn't have any of those other thoughts or expectations right. or other needs. And now we marry for love or we marry for whatever. And it's just like, what the fuck is love? <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> but, um, but there's more possibility in terms of, um, the expression of humanity mm. and experience of who God is sure. now, I think. Sure. Um, yeah. And so I do feel hopeful. No, absolutely. So on this, uh, you, you bring up, I, I just, I wanted to bring this up cause this yeah. is you wrote about it. And, um, again, I'll, I'll be cautious of our time here, but good night. You said Jesus acted queerly. I love this. Certainly we could describe his actions as the dictionary definition of queer, strange or odd from a conventional viewpoint, unusually different. Yet he doesn't merely act queer. Jesus enacts and embodies queerness. Jesus is queer. Woo! Come on. <laughs> Break it down. What's what's happening there? No, I love it. Yeah. This is good because it's again, it's 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 pushing the lines. It's pushing, you know, beyond the Yes. Yeah. I mean, he didn't fit all the molds, you know, mm -hmm. and all the molds that we maybe with our sort of modern perspective um, map onto him or even the sort of cultural expectations of his time. He didn't he didn't fit those molds. Um, so even right there, he's, you know, bursting out of those categories um, and in all his interactions with people. So I go through that a little bit in the book and I, I actually spend a ton of time in um the story about uh jesus meeting the woman at the well um hmm. because that just felt like um such a vivid picture of his uh sort of eliding some of those categories i mean still being aware of you know there are these sort of cultural these structures that we mm -hmm. have to operate in right to communicate with one another but even in that he uses that stuff to kind of burst through those categories. I mean, yeah. he's talking to a woman, he's talking to a woman alone yeah. Yeah. and a Samaritan woman. Um, and so all those different, um, all those um, different identities and the way they sort of intersect and then sort of um, explode. Um, I just think that is a picture of there. I mean, there's no word for it. And so queerness for me is a way to at least start thinking about it and talk about, talk yeah. about it um, yeah. because we can talk about the race we can talk about um ethnicity and and then sort of cultural differences mm -hmm. and the um i mean he's a single man interacting with yeah. this woman uh, who maybe has a shady history who knows i mean that's up for interpretation as well um and the way that um the way that he interacts with a lot of the women um in, mm -hmm. in these passages um with the the Canaanite woman who talks back to him, uh, yeah. you know, who's like, you know, yeah. we'll take the crumbs. Um, <laughs> and and um, the fact that he is able to be changed um, mm -hmm. so that that moment happens even. So I'm jumping around in the Bible a little bit. That moment happens and you see then all of a sudden his ministry open up. So mm -hmm. he's not just there for the lost children of Israel. He's there for everyone now. Um, and so even he had to be reminded of that yes. mission and it yeah. was a Canaanite woman um who came to him um and so that courage and that bravery and that yeah. sort of desperation and that survival mode um mm -hmm. there's um all of that to me i think that there's a way to get into that and talk about that and discover something really rich through um this sort of queer hermeneutic and this mm. queer perspective wow um, yeah, yeah. And and that's all still pretty new to me, you know, and, th and this was a a way for me to sort of play with that idea yeah. and to work through those ideas. Um, I mean, there's, I mean, oh, I think of uh, 
who was it that wrote um, Indecent Theology and, and Queer God? Oh, um, um, Marcella? No, is it? Yeah, yeah, Marcella. Um, I forget her last name. I know. Maltos Reed, maybe. I know. Yes, um, Malt- yes yeah. you got it. You got it. Uh, so, I mean, there are folks who have been dealing with and talking about queerness and queer mm-hmm. theory and theology. Um, and there's, uh, yeah, there's a lot of uh, Patrick Chang with yeah. Radical Love. And um, and I just picked up um, Pamela Lightsey's um, oh, Our, Life, yeah, yeah. Our Lives Matter. Um, just all sorts of, I mean, there's, these are, these are conversations. Um, I think, again, another sort of mode of inquiry, another sort of theoretical space mm-hmm. um, that provides some really rich and meaningful conversations um, and pushing the church, pushing people of faith um to see and think differently yeah um and to see themselves and to see humanity and see the people around them in a different way wow um and that's all i i think i'm all i that's really just what i'm trying to accomplish here is to be a part of a conversation and to um just see things differently absolutely well and i mean it's so needed right now right i mean it's so I don't know. I mean, I can, I can hear the fundamentalists now. You know, it's like thumping their Bibles as mm-hmm. as as we speak. But I'm just like, it's time for a new reality of theological inquiry. Like yeah. you said, the embodiment piece, mm. understanding of queer theology, understanding of queerness. I mean, and I feel like because this right, this is what happens as you as you know, and you mentioned this. Uh, I'm forgetting what what part of uh, that you talked about. You know, the um the Orlando not and was it Orlando. The, yeah. the shooting, the mm-hmm. killing. Yeah. Um, people take this to the next level. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not just like, oh, I'm going to just disagree and be like, all right, let me go keep living my life. Then it's like, no. And if I don't kill you, I want to bar you from anything. Mm-hmm. I want to fire you. I yeah. want to get rid of you. I want I want you to. And I don't, I don't know. I just don't see that in any part of what Jesus did right. with folks who were considered oppressed, folks who were considered on the outside, folks who were considered queer, yeah. even he himself, right? Yeah. As we're looking at that definition. So I don't know. I, this, is a, this is a really important text. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I, I think there are moments where I'm just like, I mean, I think, you know, you know, you've written a couple of books, so you know this as well, where you just think like, oh God, I could have done that differently. Yeah. <laughs> or, or I wish yeah. I could take that chapter out or I wish I could work on it a little <laughs> bit more. But, you know, I think that everything is always, always going to be in process. Um, and True. so, yeah, I hope, you know, I hope people disagree with me. I hope people um, on both sides, you know, all along the spectrum, people who identify as queer or who don't identify as queer. I hope that people enter into conversation um, and enter into conversation with me too about it um, mm-hmm. because I think that we won't move forward unless we're doing it together um, and figuring it out together um, and so I hope that this at least provides some new language some new stories um, some new images um, because I think language can get stale yeah. um, you know I mean I think we've got our creeds we've got the Lord's Prayer um, and I think language gets stale when it's not rooted in community and rooted in people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm hoping that this is a way to infuse um, some new life um, because people hopefully, yeah, will be bothered. Yes. Um, and will want to talk about it. Exactly. No, exactly. Yeah. Well, this has been great. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's- 
fun this, to hang out here. Oh man, this is this is great with the water flow and everything. Yeah, I feel like I'm like in nature. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. right. That's <laughs> right. It's so great. Oh my goodness. Um, well, where can folks find you to you know give you that uh, honorarium and bring you out and oh, the yeah. front of the presidential address <laughs> and all that good stuff? Oh my gosh! Um, just beware! I'll probably have one of the kids hanging off of me <laughs> up there. Um, yeah. Uh, so my website is just um, mihikimcourt.com and you can find me on Twitter and Facebook okay. and Instagram. And then the book, I mean, the best place right now is to um, pre-order it from Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Okay. Um, but right now, if you do pre-order it, then you can get the first chapter for free. Nice. Um, and I don't think I sent you the first chapter, but that was the funnest chapter for me because I really... That's when I sort of just dived in and was just like, okay, fuck it. I'm just going to just get into it. And <laughs> right. so I play with like John Piper's Desiring God. Um, oh. Kind of subvert that a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then I talk a little bit about, you know, first kisses and butterflies and, and what does desire mean and what does that look like? So That's what's up. I'd love to hear people, you know, just any feedback or any any thoughts or questions yeah. about that so this is good well this yeah. is great and again for those of you listening i put all this in the show notes as always whitehouchpodcast.com um yeah this is this is gonna this is gonna be good i will be in line to get my my copy this is good stuff thank you so much me yeah thanks so much take care I know we as a church love to talk about hospitality, and I love to think and talk about it too, but after a while, what we end up talking about becomes white noise, especially putting the word radical in front of anything seems to sort of add to that noise as well. But the more I read the Gospels and encounter those stories in the flesh and blood in our communities, I can't deny that a particular kind of hospitality consumed his entire life. Jesus welcomed and loved every single hair on every human being, prayed and ate with the absolute least of all, transgressed boundaries that seemed impermeable, turned over tables in the temples, turned over the very pillars of our existence. The Jesus we follow, God incarnate, the Christ, was a simple carpenter from Galilee, but a prophet and undeniably a revolutionary who confronted traditions and institutions, who implicitly and organically lived, ministered, and died in such a way that while he was grounded in his context, he knew himself deeply, and this included knowing himself as the son of God and the son of man. He was a Palestinian Jew, a rabbi, a teacher, but he still challenged racial, sexual, cultural, religious, gender, economic realities, anything and everything associated with the empire. And this Jesus did ministry with a compelling zeal, a creative brilliance, undoing the structures and systems with a mere parable or a blessing, a touch, a gesture, feeding, 
praying until finally being undone himself on the cross. He gave up his life, and this was the ultimate act of hospitality for all. That is the radical hospitality that compels me, that Jesus exemplified for us. The willingness to put flesh and blood, body and soul on the line for others, standing in the front lines at those marches and vigils for Black Lives Matter, for women's reproductive health, for healthcare for all, for trans people, for non-binary, genderqueer, gender non-conforming, agender people, making those lines and barriers not to shut out, but to embrace protect, to love the most vulnerable. I've learned that sanctuary is more than a physical building. It becomes a way of life.